You're not getting me on a fucking intro. <laughs> Shit, that was gonna be the intro, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, perfect. Bollocks. Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Four Points In, a podcast where myself, Tom Robbershaw, Nick Jones and Red Davis talk about technology, politics, even some philosophy. This week, what's taken our fancy is the fact you can become an e-resident in Estonia. The fact that open banking is now a kind of government policy that UK banks have to provide a common set of APIs for you to access. And this could lead to really interesting innovation in the financial sector in the UK. We talk about being comfortable with failure and that that whole uh, pile of worms, can of worms. That's what it is, isn't it? You don't you don't put you don't put worms into piles. You put them into cans. Of course you do. Then finally, we talk about how to set salaries. Um, there are some interesting um, work going on here in the technology sector in terms of how to set salaries, particularly in remote teams. Uh, and it sparked a, a bit of an interesting discussion there. So with that, let's dive right into those those topics. Wagwan brothers, what's going on? I don't know, it's too early. It's too <laughs> early. It's too early. What's the time? It is well, 10.30 a.m. on a Saturday, recording in the morning rather than in the afternoon, so probably thought it was best not to be drinking beer. So no beers. We could, have a review. we could have reviewed some coffees from different shops around Bath. But I thought about that, and then I thought, well, we're going to be even worse at that, because yeah. like, it t- coffee tastes like coffee. Like, tasting notes. I don't know. I think I, I, <laughs> oh, oh, there there we go. I think I can taste different things in coffees. That's, well, that's it. I th- yeah, I'm, uh, only the extreme ones, like a lot of them are kind of similar. Yeah. 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 That's all i got to say on that, really. Yeah. Fair enough. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe, cool, maybe we will, maybe we won't. Yeah, not today, though. Can't be asked. <laughs> Been up to anything else? Gym this morning. Was all right. That's why we're so early. Yeah. Forced you to come in. Yeah. <laughs> and record. Yeah. Some upper body. Much delight. Some press-ups, which I'm famously terrible at. Due to body weight, <laughs> doesn't help. How many can you do? Plenty, enough. <laughs> <laughs> Depends, mate. To be honest, depends. If you can do enough, while you going to the gym doing push-ups? Uh, to do more? I don't uh, know. To so do more, enough. Than enough? Not enough is the answer. I don't know. Yeah, it's okay. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. What have you been doing this morning, Tom? Anything active? Um, I rolled over in in bed and egg drank coffee. That was... You look tired, mate. To be honest, I, I am tired. Your eyes are hardly open. I know. Today <laughs> is like really early. <laughs> did, did, did you waste it last night? No, but we watched a really bad game of Bath Rugby, and then oh yeah, watched an episode about Star Galactica, which I'm starting again with Sherry. And uh, yeah, went to... so yeah, if someone else can start the conversation. That'd be great. Did you see the new Star Trek Discovery episode? I haven't no. watched it yet. I didn't, I didn't even know it was coming out because I don't know why they had such a long break. So a child told me this. Apparently it's a thing in US TV to have like a hiatus like mid-season. Um, Maybe wanting more. Yeah, like Thanksgiving to now, I guess. Because uh-huh. um, the numbers would be so low? or I don't know. I wouldn't have thought so because that's the time of year when everyone's yeah. at home, like mm. watching TV, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's quite strange. It's all right. Not the best, not the worst. Right, I look forward to them. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm glad I didn't have to wait another year for a season, which yeah. I thought is what happened. But <laughs> there we go. Cool. Well, I guess yeah, I can be watching that. Yeah, I did see a thing. There'll be a new episode on Monday. But then I saw that then there was an episode this Monday. As well. Yeah. One weekend saw it. An hour of it at least. Well, how was your bike stuff going? I passed the module one on Friday, so <laughs> got module two to do now. Nice. What's but module two? Module two is the actual road ride. So module one is you go around on a car park style, yep. um, doing little different manoeuvres. Nice. And finally did that on the third attempt. So good, 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 good. So when's your next thing? I don't know yet. I haven't booked it, but fingers crossed. Is that when a little guy or big guy follows you <laughs> behind on the bike? Or girl? Yeah. <laughs> or girl. Yeah. Let's, cut, let's cut that one out. So you're mic'd up to the instructor. Uh, yeah, take I think, a right, take a left. Yeah, actually, like you, it's not two way, so they can only talk to you. Um, so you just you're literally following instruction and guidance, and then you have like a out of the half an hour ride, you have ten minute um, of like uh-huh. independent riding where they give you a couple of instructions and tell you to do these two things, then follow the signs for like X, and then they just you 
They send you off. They see how you do. So in the car test, I remember like reversing around corners and bay parking and stuff. I guess that was part one of your bike yeah, testing. Yeah, because that sort of thing is the part yeah. one is that like how can you do in slow maneuvers on on a bike? Can you yeah. like control the control the bike? Because it yeah. is a pretty hefty machine, as we talked yeah. about. Um, um, I was talking to the guy because they actually um, had a strike recently, or the examiners had a strike recently because they changed some of the car test, um, and for some reason people didn't. Some people didn't like it. Um, they've included now in the car test you have to do sat nav um, like navigation. So yeah. for a period, I can't remember how long it is. It might be like 15, 20 minutes or so. Um, like the sat nav is on, and it's like proving that you can drive a car and follow the instructions and. Do everything in one go. So that's, um, that. that's not a bad idea. They've removed the um, uh, left reverse round a corner from a major into a minor. So they you do which was he says has saved a lot of time as well because no one ever really does that in real life. And it takes a big chunk of the test out because people are really yeah. slow at doing it. Um, now you have to go on. You have to park up on the right hand side of the road. So I, I cross traffic and park mm-hmm. and then do a bit of a, a reverse. Um, and then pull away again, and that's like kind of what's replaced it as that exercise. Well, like a bit like a three point turn in a way. More like your um, parking when you get home. Um, so it's almost like a parallel park, but there's loads of space. So it's oh, more like okay. what you would have to do. You'd have to go across traffic and pull, yeah. um, and pull up. Um, and he said that's yeah. I mean, he could see why they suggest that because it's you do that more regularly than you do a reversing from a major into a minor. Yeah. When I did my driving test was when I realised that I needed glasses to drive. Yeah, pulled up at the test center, and the first thing they do, if you remember, or at least with me, it was like you walk outside the test center, they pick a car, and they yeah. say, "Okay, read that number plate." And I just went balls. <laughs> really? You yeah. had to like check that in advance. Yeah, no, it just didn't cross my mind, and I managed to squint enough just to just to make it out. But yeah. I was like, "Okay, that was close. <laughs> I guess I need guess I need some glasses." Yeah, yeah. You don't wear them very often, so is it because you're, that's short sighted? So you just don't bother looking very far away. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I wear them for rugby, and um, yeah, I just wear them when, when I want to see <laughs> when I want to see distance, yeah, and right. it's more convenient too, like the cinema. Approve. Um, yeah, same. Yeah, I think I'm getting that way. I'm having trouble focusing on things that far away. <clears throat> yeah, I think yeah, mine's not legally required, so I should be still fine to pass the driving test, but it just makes driving easier. Yeah, so I can see. My instructor <laughs> said though. If you're if you've got glasses like prescribed, then it's illegal not to drive without them. Really? Yeah, I don't know if that's true or not. But is he an instructor or a lawyer? Instructor. Play <laughs> <Hello> again. <laughs> well, I or was. <laughs> Long time ago. Now. Until he got struck off. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Also legal advice. Yeah, yeah. And what news have we been interested in this week? I mean, we want to talk about uh, Estonia as a big, big topic as they regularly in the news in terms of um, their uh, how their like modern approach to to government. Are there any other topics you want to like experiment with first, or should we just dive right in? Um, let's dive right in. What do you think? Do you see the video? Yeah, I did. So yeah, we'll link up in the show notes. There's one particular YouTube video that's kind of been summarising what's been going on in Estonia. I've heard previously. I'd heard about there. Kind of, you can be an e-resident, like don't mm-hmm. need to, to live there. Um, yeah. Hadn't read into much in terms of why I would want to be. Um, no offence to Estonia. No. Um, uh, or what they what from his video, he was seeing seemed to be suggesting that was to encourage entrepreneurs to like visit or maybe to, to easily set up companies and stuff. Right. So because they didn't really talk much about this e-residency thing in so it's almost like you can like i don't know get a passport but like, yeah sign up like a facebook account yeah become a re- like resident of estonia even though i'm like british and haven't been to estonia oh hang on okay so we leave the eu when <laughs> this might actually be an easy way to get back in okay cool. yeah because let's, I let's put a marker down for that a little note down for that so we can investigate after this yeah, yeah. Uh, that will be next podcast topic is Nick is now an Estonian resident. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the language. Um, then they have, like, I think the biggest thing is that they have an ID card, which seems to kind of give access to the centralized um, system of data around you. So you can essentially carry your, like, medical history. You can carry your, like, accounts, um, uh, submit your, so you can submit your tax return like, yeah. in five minutes. You can... Go up to anybody, and then this this will have all the information um, about you. 
Yeah. Um, I presume it's like not sort of the card. The card is more just an authentication mechanism. And yes. it seemed to be a pin code suggested. Um, <coughs> yes. Yeah. So I think there's all the data is like in one place and then the card is kind of like an authentication method where it gets put in and you have to put in a pin code as well. Yeah. Um, and then so it can't just be accessed by exactly. By yeah, they can't just put your card in and get your data. Yeah. It requires two bits of information. But um, yeah, Looked would you, would awesome. you use it if it was in the UK? If you had the choice, um, yeah, I think so. A lot depends for me on the what information is on there, how it's being held, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, who has access to it. But um, in terms of, I know because. Obviously, just trained to be a doctor. I know the health, having all your health data on there is just like so much better than <laughs> them having to pass large amounts of paper yeah. around. Um, so for those things, yeah. It'd be, it'd be, it'd be, I wonder how they do it. I wonder how the student does it, whether it's like if you give access, everyone has access to all your information or whether if you just go, for example, if you're going to buy a house and they want to do your like background check for your money whether you can just say just have access to my yeah it the, must work the financial that. stuff rather than yeah. imagine the stuff. way it works is you have to authorize as like a data reader or something and you're only authorized for certain scopes of data yeah so like a hospital obviously only has access to medical no financial access and a yeah which makes mortgage sense. company yeah. only has access yeah. to like your annual salary yeah. say just that number maybe yeah yeah and credit scores and stuff like that yeah so, like, yeah, I think I'd definitely use it. Um, I know how much of a pain in the ass it was. And that was, I was even employed at the time to buy my house, my flat. So, like, yeah, I wouldn't, yeah. for you guys, it must have been like impossible. And also, also for you, Tom, for Sherry and stuff, when she moved over, the amount yeah. of paperwork for you to have to get, imagine if you just like, get yeah. a little card in and. Yeah, I mean, an international border is always going to be a challenge. Um, but yeah, I think like the, the thing where like, really battling here is like privacy and security and so yeah as we're, as we're technologists we would be okay with it in theory as long as we could do enough research to understand what sort of protections are in place um yeah. I, I mean we give a fair amount of data to our, our like government and things now and there's a certain level of trust but yeah. essentially like it's security through obfuscation because we know it's really hard to like <laughs> yeah. collate all of our documents together but ne- more so than i trust the government's security um so that the, the challenge is that this would actually be networked, would be available anywhere, which means just the amount of um, access to nefarious people like and the likelihood of access is greater. Um, yeah. And I did talk about that. There was some cyber attack on the Estonian network and the rumors were, the, were that it was that, like connected to Russia. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they've, yeah, it's, it is a risk of it. Um, I don't it's, think it, it was sound, like, It sounded like a DOS though, not yeah, a... Yeah, it wasn't yeah. like a... Yeah. No data was stolen. It was just they took the system yeah. down. And I wonder if that's because of like the, like, the like essentially two-factor off sort of style mm. um, um, security measure. Like you have to be around. Um, and I wonder what, how that works in terms of like if I want to like apply for a mortgage, does that mean I have to be there in person? Like which might be a, a fair like security um, uh, improvement. Um, yeah. Or whether or not you can get a card reader <coughs> for home and then... or. And they do two-factor off on, online. I don't, we don't know the full, yeah, or maybe, full story. Yeah, or maybe you, yeah, do it online and you hook it up like OAuth or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I am. Um, I genuinely wouldn't be surprised if the UK start moving that way just because of the success of like gov.uk. And yeah, we did try and do an identity card, um, which is slightly different, but um, never got through the comments. No, it? I didn't. Um, I don't know. Like, I can't remember. It was a while ago now, wasn't it? Maybe a decade ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's yeah not worked out, and I think that was one of the the cases that um, uh, people have made around this Estonian system and how they've like kind of leapfrogged everyone else, which is a very common like method. Is because they, you know, um, kind of left the Soviet Union in '91 and then have like they had like uh, a blank canvas, yeah, blank canvas, like things were mm-hmm. a mess, and so obviously not all of the system was built or, or kind of imagined there and then, yeah. but they they just have been able to kind of start from scratch. It's not a case of you know, having arguments about what we're going to remove, what we're going to change. It was like, literally, what are we going to do? Yeah. Um, and that's, it's the startup versus um, corporate, like, um, maneuverability and, and agility, because 
you know, the UK or the US, like we can't because we've got so much, like we are, we are corporates, we are a corporation, we've got so much legislation, we've got so much like protections, we've got so much for, for good reason. But, and so it's that trade off between red, red tape to avoid the worst case scenarios versus, um, innovation. Um, and yeah. we are, what do we want to be? Do we want to be this, um, like highly protective, organized, um, like, uh, legislated fairness or whatever, um, or do we want to go back to anything goes, um, which are the two different styles of yeah. running a government? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't really get the privacy thing with ID cards, to be honest, because like we have like a citizen ID somewhere, mm. you know, and like MI5 or whatever, they have linked up all of our IDs across our like health records and financial data and national insurance numbers. Like we're already linked in the government somehow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if someone did want to get that information about us in the government, then they could. Like in in my mind, I think it's it, it would be naive to assume that they can't. Um, so like the yeah surfacing the ID card thing and making it more usable to everyone else and like speeding stuff up and reducing yeah. bureaucracy. It's, what was it? Two percent of GDP, I think it said that Estonia saved. Yeah, on on and just so, like, less they, paper. They use that as a reason why they could um, reduce taxes. Yeah, right. That was, yeah, that, that, was, was really that was really interesting because he was like, we made it so easy for people to pay taxes. More people did pay, like. Yeah, compliance. Yeah, people people pay the and right taxes, like, and so people can pay less yeah. taxes. I just like the 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 guy who's just like laughing to himself. Yeah, and then we could lower taxes because more people paid them. And, yeah. uh, and on average, an American citizen, because uh, unlike the UK, where if you're kind of in a full time uh, uh, employment, you don't have to submit your own tax return. In the US, everybody does yeah. their own, and it's said crazy. on average, it takes thirteen hours. Um, so yeah. yeah, Estonia was five minutes. Yeah, it's crazy, um, isn't so it? Ridiculous. Yeah, it's berserk. Yeah. I think um, the, the open banking stuff that is happening that we've, I think that's the name of it. Open banking. Open banking yeah. 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 And I, I think private companies could start building something similar to this for citizens in the UK. And then I guess it's more that you've got to have the people like the mortgage companies accept that as a, as a method of getting the data. But yeah, if I could just easily send because of the open banking stuff or whatever, they got all my transactions already yeah. and they could just have them rather than me have to print off. Yeah, yeah. it's not like we want to talk about blockchain, but that is uh, a way, that is something you could, <laughs> we're not going to mention the C word. Uh, <laughs> we use blockchain, like, you know, if you use one of the ones which is all of the data on it is encrypted, then in theory, we could have a distributed ledger of like all of my personal information. And then I can authorize people to look at that if I give them a key. Uh, you want to do a t- like a token that wasn't like they get access forever. So you wouldn't want to just give them the kind of the, you know, you can read this file um, or part of the blockchain and my data on it. But that would be a way of, you know, setting up a system that was um, distributed, then making that like have, a, have an API and a way for you to auth people on it. Yeah. Um, and that would not require like the, the government. Uh, it would help if they did, did get involved. Yes, definitely. Yeah. My problem with generally like encryption that's in the open. So like I encrypt something, then I put it out there for anyone to see is that the fact that encryption is going to be cracked at some point. Yeah. And if it's like, if it's past your lifetime, then I guess that's not very important. Like maybe it affects like my children, if I have any, to know that, you know, I had some genetic disorder or something and mm. like they've likely got it too. Like that, that might be an issue. Yeah. Um, but also like you don't actually know how secure the, the encryption method is. So like it could be cracked in nine months or it could already be cracked now. Like, and so you don't, you don't know, actually know if it's safe or not. Yeah, I guess with our traditional encryption methods, they are like that you can upgrade them, whereas a blockchain is, would, I would imagine, be difficult to yeah. like upgrade and there would always be the I older. I can't like throw away the, the older the version one. would still be available in some nodes. Yeah. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, you'd have to go like ludicrously, ludicrously high and then just hope for no quantum computers. Yeah, exactly. In your lifetime, which, yeah, might be reasonable. Yeah. Probably is reasonable for a majority of stuff. Yeah. Um. Because, yeah, once you're gone, you're gone. It doesn't, doesn't affect you then. Yeah, yeah, there you are. And on that note, <laughs> well, um, what else I see about this? Um, what I found cool about the Estonian stuff as well was that they did e-voting. Yeah, that which, seems and I was like, like a hot topic. Yeah, and we've discussed this before, not on the podcast, but we've discussed it um, in the pub, as, as we used yeah, to do. Yeah, I didn't actually know it was implemented 
Properly. Like, I didn't know there was an actual country that was using it. Yeah. No, yeah, because I knew, knew the US had those voting machines. Mm. But yeah, I didn't know anyone was doing it. Yeah. And, and they did um, say it's like not without its, like, its own level of fraud. Yeah, um, and people have been, and there's been a paper that told the government that, yeah, there's, um, there's problems with it. And yeah. yeah, their response was, well, every system's going to have fraud, which I guess is fair enough. So acknowledge it. It is a defensive response. I, mean, I assume their response was a little bit more elaborate than, <laughs> yeah. than that. Than that yeah. And um, yeah, yeah. yeah what I, I, I have no idea how it works, but it's like, how do you match? How do you make sure that someone's only voted once and how and while Please maintaining the conf- confidentiality of the vote? Oh, you know, right. Because yeah. I don't want I think a key to a functioning democracy is that you can vote and your vote stays anonymous. I think the anonymous yeah. part of it is very important. So you can't be punished for voting the wrong way. Yeah, and you can yeah vote in in confidence and secrecy. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like if you think if you're building a Rails app to count count votes, how would you make sure that a user can only vote once? Yeah, you store their vote against their ID, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which I assume is but maybe uh, it's you kind of need separation between authentication and then you pass it off to a separate system, which like knows that like that they've been authenticated, but not like by what they just know that like if they yeah. if they if they have access to this system then they've been authenticated and i don't know who they are and i and i, and I accept one from this person but yeah technology wise i don't know what yeah that's that's interesting actually yeah so the one system um marks whether or not they've had a token from the other system and yeah. that token is the value there's, there's still a lot of trust like yeah to be had um and like logs making yeah. sure those logs those, don't those contain two, that information those two systems would need to be like managed like by two if it was a government like by two different departments that yeah. don't answer to each other because it'd be very easy to coordinate otherwise um, yeah it would so yeah that was interesting um, and um, yeah the e-voting and the main reason to like people didn't vote in the US election was like because it was too inconvenient yeah. like whether they couldn't make the polling station or they were out of the country or yeah Whatever I did, uh, cynical me was wondering how much of that was more just like the sociable, sociable, socially acceptable excuses for why they just can't be asked. Yeah. And they're not engaged in. Oh, we got postal votes here, which which gets rid of a lot of those yeah. mm-hmm. those arguments. But yeah, yeah, but it was cool. I love the idea of election night seeing like a real live counter of like stuff coming in. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I like it's almost black mirror, isn't it? Yeah, I like it. I also I'm scared that it would convert it into even more of a um like re- reality TV like it would the, 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 you can imagine the like night of TV that that would create. Ugh. Yes. Yeah, I wonder if they're going to open it up to um uh to other companies to just do what they want. Like just use your citizen ideas like an mm. auth method and then let them do stuff like um I don't know, play the lottery. Do it that way. Interesting. God, I'm so cold. I'm in shorts and a hoodie. I'm nice and warm. <laughs> yeah. I think it's probably worth having a bit more of a chat about that open banking thing and explaining what what it what it was. I think that's um a, a big deal for us this week. Yeah, a surprise as well. Didn't really know. Yeah, I mean, from what we've uh, researched, I think it is something that we actually did discuss offline at some point, the uh, open banking. We have, excuse me, bacon sandwich. Uh, we have uh, <laughs> discussed it, but mm. um, the the movement, and it does seem to be like connected to the government. Yeah. Like it's legislation that requires essentially for um, banks to... Um, use a central API, or it's like it's like a its own sort of ontology. It's like um, a, yeah, it's a central spec. Yeah, it's not a it's not a central service that every bank plugs into. You still connect to Nationwide or First Direct or HSBC. Yeah, as far as I understand. But it's so that it encourages people to be able to write like a, a application once and then be able to access yeah, like any bank. Just change the, the endpoint and it works. Yeah, yeah. Um, so apparently the UK is going further than the the EU legislation um, wants them to. My voice is jiggling because I'm so cold. Uh, <laughs> the UK is also making the products that the bank offer as um, consumable by machines as well. So like the interest rates on current accounts and the mm-hmm. overdraft fees and stuff to make it really easy to um, compare. Oh, uh, yes. To remove okay. that competitive advantage that they got of just hiding that stuff away. Yeah. Um, so we'll see a, a whole bunch of new comparison websites for comparing like yeah. accounts based on like yeah. your situation. Just hit like the accounts.json of like nationwide and first direct and HSBC and and yeah. yeah, compare like in real time. And yeah, then Red mentioned on the way over here, like maybe that's gonna start like the flipper style 
moving it. So uh, Flipper right. is um, a tool that flips around your energy supplier based on what the cheapest would be for you. Um, and wondered whether that would start happening in the banks as well. Yeah. Like it's, it's a way more of a pain and they, in the they ass, might, but That might add like the same way that energy suppliers would then add penalties if you like, if you want the cheap prices, you have to commit and then you get penalties if you leave that then banks could do that. Like they, you, yeah. know, you only give you your interest or whatever if, um, and that's just, it, I guess it becomes another um, a comparison like um, point, but. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, true. Um, but I love, love the idea that, I don't know what kind of protection would be around, but that the great access to even to people like us could, you know, something that we were like the idea of doing for a long time is, is creating more kind of side project products on top of like bank feeds. Cause it's just a bit like, wealth of knowledge and information that is incredibly yeah, useful. Yeah, and it's, it's really easy to make something valuable from it. Yeah. Valuable in terms of useful and like Someone you can charge for this. It, yeah. Because yeah. um, you know how much they make. Um, but yeah, it'd be nice to not have to use like Yodly and the API that you mentioned. Oh, Teller. Teller, Teller yeah, yeah. I'd have to pay for those to get access. Yeah. Like that, you'll just be able to do. Yeah, it. you should just be able to, like, same as Monzo and what that's doing. Really, you should just be able to talk to the bank um, and find out this sort of information and build stuff on on top of it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I really like that. We'll definitely have a play, but I doubt we'll get very far because I'm, I'm sure it's still going to be fairly complicated. Yeah, I'm going to try it. Yeah. So I've already got an account, but I don't know how hard it is to actually hook stuff up. What do you think the first thing you would do is? I mean, the first thing I guess is just make a something that watch like essentially replicates your bank website so it shows you all your transactions. And yeah, things, categorization, I think, is, is the first thing. Yeah. Like, I know there's lots of tools for it, but I don't like any of them. No, I struggle with different apps. I, I, think to, I, use I just want to write a regex to match stuff. That's literally the killer feature I want in these things is to write a regex to easily right. yeah, do yeah, it. Yeah, I should be better at learning from, like, other people. Yeah. Maybe, the, maybe the kind of user base is just so low. I use money dashboard, but, you know, mm. and it tries to categorize. Um, and it does learn after a while. And, you know, we're creatures of habit. We don't shop at that many different places or I don't drink out at that many different pubs. So, you know, once I've tra- tracked it a <laughs> yeah. couple of times, it does get it. Does get it. Um, but it also seems to get, to get sometimes get the days wrong and then that messes things up. So my mortgage payment will go out on like the first, but the app then thinks it went out on the 31st the previous month, which then messes up my like monthly comparisons. Yeah, I found with Money Dashboard as well that it doesn't let you categorize them the way you want to categorize them. I assume that's because they're selling our data behind the scenes. Mm. Like that's the way they make money is selling that off. Right, right. So like if I want to mark something as like, you know, if I want to specifically track, you know, how much am I fucking spending on coffee these days? Yeah. Like it just goes down as like entertainment or something and I can't change that. Yeah. Um, which is, yeah, annoying. Yeah, not very specific. But yeah, I think some kind of categorization thing would be cool. But yeah. it's pretty boring to be honest. Not revolutionary. No, no. And again, it's working out what, what is interesting to us because we just like kind of the digesting information and showing it in different forms and what is interesting and useful to the wider population and what do they need? Yeah. It's two different, two different questions. Bill Guard was cool. Yeah. Yeah. I've got that shut down. Yeah. It seems, I don't, I assume it's still, it got bought out or it got renamed in the U S but they removed it from the UK store. But, um, it, like it, it actually, um, it's essentially an app that every new transaction that went into my bank account, it, it uh, gave me a daily summary, uh, yeah. which I mean, something that banks could do, but it meant that I could kind of approve or I could flag things. And so when I, my card got um, duped in uh, the US and I only ever used it in the Las Vegas Trump hotel, um, <laughs> read into that what you will. Um, um, they, they like, I mean, it's information that was in my nationwide, but I don't like check my transactions all the time, even though I have the app, I'm just not yeah. looking, logging in. I mean, I think a lot of people don't like, I mean, some people are obsessed with their money and some people, obviously they have a lot of, um, you know, money stresses are a big thing. So maybe they will be checking it often. Um, but it's also, I kind of tend to avoid looking at it because I don't like thinking about it. Yeah. Um, so this of just reviewing the transactions that came in each day, it was, it was the one that notified me. Um, and obviously that sort of thing, you want to kind of be, flagging it and raising it with the bank as soon as possible to kind of try and make sure you get your money back. So why did it, why did it flag it to you? Was it just something I think it was more case of it was just a daily review. Um, okay. yeah. I think it's, I think it might have actually flagged it because there were five payments, uh, large payments in, uh, I think it was like, uh, what was it? Walgreens. Yeah. Um, and so maybe it kind of flagged it suspicious at that point. What were they buying in Walgreens? I don't know. Not for like $400 like, yeah. a piece. <laughs> um, so yeah, they, they spent like a grand or so in, in Walgreens. Which well, is I mean, good going. Yeah. Um, buying really expensive electric toothbrushes and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Does that not look suspicious? <laughs> as a like, I'll take 20 of these, please. Um, so, so yeah, that was nice. And so something, again, like a simple app that just gives you notifications of like review this, like this week's transactions. These are the ones we think are look, look iffy is just a, you know, marginal gain, but useful. Yeah, definitely. I wonder if the standard applies to credit card companies as well, or whether it's just banks. So yeah, all of my spending goes on credit cards and I just pay it off like every month. Yeah. Um, yeah. Might not be as useful for me actually. To wait and see. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Don't know whether or not they, that would be there. So you have yeah. to apply to get access to yeah. this. Right. You get access to I think it's Jira actually. They have a um, they have a help desk, like service yeah. it's the service desk portion. Oh, okay, right, right. Access to all the specs and stuff, and like agreements and yeah, all that legal stuff, I suppose. Nice. Yeah, all the specs are free and open, so you can see what they are without having to sign up. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Very positive. I could give like just recommendations. Like I've got a few different like banks and savings accounts, and some that you can you only you get a good interest interest rate, but you can only put in so much money per month and. All of that is just a bit difficult to work out. So, and and just like some people aren't so bothered about kind of maximizing and moving things around, like you say, yeah. finding the best deal. So, you know, um, Sherry like will you know have her income, but she, because she, particularly because she's like American, like she doesn't really understand all of our savings accounts. She doesn't know what an ISA is really. Um, whereas actually just being able to go, okay, you're with Nationwide. I know all the like accounts at Nationwide do. Let me. This is what I think your plan should be, and I'll automatically move the money around for you. I'll automatically like, okay, I know that you should you create one of these savings accounts um, and one of these you'll put in the maximum 250 into this one each month, the 500 into this, like if yeah. you've got like spare. And I'll only charge you 10%. <laughs> yeah. I'd say that was a good deal. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's cool. <laughs> what do you mean, what's this transaction siphoning off the top? I don't know. I don't think about that transaction. <laughs> a bill guard that doesn't highlight its own uh, subscription <laughs> yeah. charges. Yeah. Just takes a penny off of every other yeah. So yeah, that that I, I guess one of the big topics of a lot of like um, on uh, I don't know uh, economists and government departments um, in terms of the population and encouraging savings is what can we do to like help them um, help themselves um, because it is complicated. This is one step to kind of simplify it for for people. Yeah, and you could also dig out like you work out your phone contract like payments and you know. Uh, do you really need to spend 30 quid a month on your phone? Like, did you know that this was available? Like, yeah, and gradually as more and more things API and then other businesses have APIs, you can then start comparing like the phone yeah. contracts and saying, yeah, I, I see you have an iPhone 7. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, lots of, lots of opportunities. Yeah. Security is always a concern, but I think, like, I think the rewards are greater than the risks as long as we actually culturally do make preparations and um, to... You know, minimize the risks, yeah. and that seems to be something that, like going back to the Estonia thing, they they have a culture of like cybersecurity, whereas a lot of other countries, it's like an afterthought. It's that it's that thing that you know, it's if you're doing a really good job, you don't notice notice it. Um, yeah. And so it's making sure that it's actually a, like a cultural priority, and everybody involved in the business like thinks of it as part of like the initial task. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Same as like we in our daily lives in terms of development and agency life, it's like considering testing as like the a core part of like the task is not complete with, without it, and that's that would probably be the biggest challenge, particularly in where, when it's as a kind of society it's still such a new thing that we've got a whole bunch of different generations that just yeah it you know they can't com- comprehend it because you know we're only just like we're it's about as we as we are growing up so you know we're kind of the first people that would would care about it because the others have to be educated that is it, it is a problem yeah um, yeah so that's one of the cultural cultural challenges that's one yeah i agree uh, the other topic I've uh, wanted to bring up was I'm reading a book at the moment called Black Box Thinking. I think it's by Matthew Syed or something like that. Um, and it's really interesting. Essentially, uh, the big question is is asking like people is to be more comfortable with failure, which is something that I know we all struggle with. I know that I do, and being comfortable acknowledging it, not getting defensive, um, and just being um, and, and seeing it as something that is just part of the parcel of being human, which I think doesn't really like go said um, often enough. And actually a lot of our failures are just, yeah, just based on human like psychological problems. We, like whether that be um, through your 
your own experience, life experiences and things yeah. that you're going to be more prote protective and defensive or things that are going to be more triggering to you, but also just kind of global, like hum humanitarian, like problems of like cognitive dissonance being like the biggest, biggest one. Um, and that's you know, something that we're finding a lot now when it comes to the political sphere. It's like the more that a, the opposite view uh, is explained to you, the more you become um, like set in your own ways. Um, so this, this is talking about, it starts talking about how the like airline industry with their kind of independent review boards um uh like has and especially with the recent news of how safe um uh like airplanes have become was it like was it no deaths or something was in 2017 was that like, the big the big news um and there's already been like i think in um like fast improvements there um but they the black box and that's where the black box and black box thinking in the title comes from in terms of having that black box in an airplane and then when something happens it's not kind of blaming the pilots or blaming uh, it's like just independently trying to understand what happened and what can we change to stop that from happening again rather than having the blame culture um, yes that's quite an interesting thing from i love watching uh airplane crash investigations what yeah. it's called and it does it does like it's all just about finding the reason and yeah there's no blame there no one's going in there pointing fingers yeah obviously unless the pilot's like absolutely wasted um but yeah. the majority of it is usually there is someone so does trip up it, somewhere but it's not normally on purpose it's just an accident and yeah but the, even the like, pilot being wasted i think even that is a that's a process problem yes um, yeah it's the it's the creating systems by where, whereby we protect ourselves from ourselves um yeah. because you know like good people do bad things like yeah because of the situation that they're they're in um and so then like it talks about many other uh, areas that need this but the biggest area that it focuses on for a portion of the book is on on healthcare um, um and there there have been a lot there has been a lot of research into it and, I, and mm -hmm. I, maybe um like Jess knows more about it than, than I but it seems to be like way like lacking behind in terms of being um it, you know when mistakes happens it just it's just kind of often cast offers just one of those things that you know this this happened and like in the on the operating table one thing led to another yeah um but the, being more transparent and open about it um and there was a big kind of case in i think it was like around, um in 2006 2007 when someone um, um a mother and and wife went in for kind of what was deemed a simple operation yeah. um and then she ended up kind of dying during kind of um when she was giving an an general anesthetic um and because they couldn't get the tube in her and it's just one of those things that just led to another um yeah. but one of the big problems was the people um applying it and trying to get the tube in her were they lost track of time because you know when you're in that sort of serious situation it's very easy for like 15 minutes to just suddenly disappear and in that kind of yeah when time really, really matters, um, you know, that's just one of like our faults as, as human beings. And it was just kind of passed off as, to a certain degree as one of those things. Um, and things did happen, like there's, I don't, won't go into the full story, but it's just being like more aware of like what our, what our faults are. Um, and I wondered how that would apply to, uh, while our industry is far less like, you know, critical. And then there are areas of software engineering where it is obviously far more critical. But, you know, how could we even as like an agency be, more um accepting of like uh, failures and not just kind of blaming it on someone's personality or their you know it was their fault and i think we do pretty well when it comes to wanting to change process when something happens yeah. um you've got the risk of then adding in too much process you don't want to add a rule for every single like possible edge case because then you can't like move very quickly but it is a case of you know creating software projects should be you know a lot simpler than it is um mm -hmm. and we should be able to reduce those mistakes so maybe we shouldn't just kind of see it as a um you know it's okay uh, it's normal for an it project to be late um maybe we should be being doing better at having like i mean we have our retrospectives but it, there's even more that we can do um and it tied back to me for you know the research that google did into you know high performing uh, teams and what was the most important thing and it was about creating a safe environment where um, people feel okay to make suggestions, make mistakes, and be like honest. And so, like if if that if the environment is safe, where you make mistake and you're not going to like feel that you know it's all your fault, it's that you come together as a team and you don't uh, feel kind of all the eyes on on you. I think mm -hmm. that is a big part of that, and that would encourage that conversation as well yeah. of like learning from it, saying that essentially everyone taking a certain level of responsibility for it. Um, yeah, um, I think would be. A really cool thing. So it's, an, it's certainly um, 
uh, an interesting idea. I thoroughly like recommend the book. I'm still kind of getting through it at yeah. the moment. I just bought um, it. So yeah, cool. Yeah, I um, yeah. What's also about yeah teams coming together and stuff. I think a lot. It also help if companies were a bit more helping each other companies as well. So I so I work at so many different companies yeah. and I see so many different like a lot of them seem to fail at the same thing, you know. Yeah. And some of them then overcome the the, the, the certain failure or whatever, but then all the others are still suffering from the same situation. Um, yeah, so like, I've because I together I was there for three years and we were a very small team, like five of us. So we went through a lot of like, like we evolved a lot as a team, like changed a lot there. So sort of what I've seen there. But then I still see new teams that are like stumbling over the same things yeah. that we did, and it just if it just feels like every company company it's like the same situation yeah and competition can be good from like driving down prices and it does kind of push people forward because you don't want to be like left behind by a competition you're always fearful like they might not actually have a great idea but you think they do and so it pushes you forward yeah. um and that is one method and i definitely see how that works but there is also a like maybe there's a bigger picture in terms of like us as like you know people in society and if we were like sharing more and not seeing it as like a zero-sum game yeah. there would be like more um yeah the the, the I don't know, maybe further development if there was more sharing. Um, um, and the, the kind of failure of companies and you know, why are some companies more successful, it, you know, you might want to put on it down to, you know, those in individual people, they just had a great idea. Yeah. But I'm sure a lot of failures are just because of these subjective problems where people like are, are, are like they have their cognitive dissonance, dissonance, they're not kind of open enough. Like they I think a lot of it comes down to just like personality faults. Yeah. Um, is can be a lot of reason why companies fail. Um, yeah, communication seems to be, from what I see, is always one of the larger ones. Yeah. Just um, hard to find information, and yeah, it's not like people want to keep it, but by default they don't like give it out. Yeah, it's, it's not like there's like a, somewhere to put it, or like yeah. not be. It's not normal to yeah. It's not exactly a, like a standard to follow. It's not like a, there's a, not a culturally like accepted thing of like oh I would just do this. That's what we do. Like yeah. this, it's more yeah. coming back from oh like where I'm competing with someone else. Like this is all on me. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't want to give any of my trade secrets away because like I guess because we don't truly understand what like makes us special and we I think it's that you know uh, ba- your actions based on fear a lot of the yeah. a lot of the time. I'm actually uh, yeah I'm actually writing a blog post at the moment about. So I find all the best companies I've ever worked with, like remote or on site, it doesn't seem to matter much anymore. I document the hell out of everything. Yeah. Um, like just to the, like everything as well, like just their Git commits are well produced. Um, knowing what's deployed on what servers, like which point in the, like for backends, where yeah, we deployed this commit or something yeah. like that. And updates, like, yeah, daily stand-ups that are written down so it doesn't matter what time you wake up or whatever you can still find out what everyone's working on and things like that and yeah like just overly communicating seems to um yeah those companies seem to work the best yeah where everyone can sort of work asynchronously no one needs to sort of tap anyone on the shoulder for stuff um and no one, a single person has like all the information yeah um, and even like that's great for, uh, if there is the like talk first policy that's even great for conflict because like conflict resolution that's much harder to do if people would like shut themselves off or yeah. you know um, they don't feel like they can talk about it mm-hmm. um, and actually having those conversations early again with like the no blame culture of like like it's not that you did this and this is wrong it's yeah. the you did this and it made me feel like this um, yeah. and it's a case of oh you did this and it made me feel like this and it's the okay well Maybe like there's some like negotiation point here. Um, yeah, definitely. And having that like early, it's just like, yeah, it's just businesses, uh, just like anything else. It's groups of people, and the challenge is getting those groups of people to like work well together. Yeah. And as uh, again, as a species, we want to share information, and seems like the best way forward is sharing a whole load of it. And it is, that's I guess the mentality that we've approached it. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, it's like yeah. not, there's no there's no point in like when we started an agency, it was one of our big beasts is that there are like, you know, everybody in their like nephews started like a web development business, or whatever. Um you know, maybe most of those don't grow very, very much. Yeah. But 
why is there so little information public in terms of just the common problems and how you do things even if it's just like not a case of like a bible this is how like you must do it but it's mm -hmm. like oh this is how we've done it and why and things we've yeah. learned along the way we're still far from perfect and that's why we kind of wrote the the playbook partly because yeah there's a big obviously there's always internal challenges in terms of time but we like really valued documenting things um, um and then it's a case of like yeah and like None of this is secretive and makes mean be what it is. If someone else stole this, they wouldn't like make mean be. It certainly could make their company better, but that's a good thing. Like I don't see that as a yeah. as a bad thing. Um, um, I guess coming from the developer attitude, um, attitude of like open source first and products, it's like you know you, either way we're still kind of first to, first to market or first to offer our thing. Um, yeah. So and if anything, you seem to be like at least that information. You, know, you, you seem to be. It makes you. Push you higher in terms of all oh, these people have are teaching everyone else sort of things. So, you know, it sort of gives you that um, kudos to like yeah. it's not everyone's just stealing it and then left left you with nothing. Yeah, I mean, some of the components of the things that we did, I mean, be like we took the bonus scheme stuff from Balsamic, I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was just one thing that we didn't have to experiment and and learn with. We could just hit the ground running with something else that worked for someone else. Yeah, yeah so. it's a lot more effort, like saying like, oh, you know, the topic of bonus like schemes come up in this case of, oh, I, I have no idea. You know, that would be our initial discussion. Like, I have no idea how you do this. How was a good one? What's, yeah. Yeah. you know, I also don't know how all the different types of bonus schemes could end up being twisted and like then gamed and like, because as soon as you create like a, um, a system, people are going to want to game it. Um, as we know, we know from our previous businesses, but, um, um, yeah, what, what do you do in that situation? And like, just the fact that Balsamic shared it, we're like, Oh, that looks cool. That's an interesting idea. I, I think it's a reasonable way how they've approached that. Let's, let's try that. And, yeah. And we get some, and yeah, I bet they got the people behind that don't realize that just sharing that, like other businesses have put it like into practice, which is oh, just, definitely. It's just cool. Yeah. yeah. And like companies now seem to be sharing a lot more of their like, salary information and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Um, which is really useful. Because again, when we had right, we didn't know how to understand, like, what point do you give someone a pay rate? Is what's yeah. the. Um, what's normal for companies to do is. Yeah. It's incredibly like tough, like. Um, decision because you're especially when you've you're starting a company and first one you've done um you're maybe hiring for roles that you don't know anybody in you you're like you've no idea you literally have to look for information out there to see what is yeah. expected yeah. you either look for public information of what's expected salary um or you consider what you can afford and pay um pay that or you consider what they're currently on and like try and improve their improve yeah. their salary um but there are like there's a whole bunch of um kind of re-questioning that we're we're doing now because of like how we've we've um given salaries in the past um kind of the disparity like um mm -hmm. in salaries and trying i think they're following more what the kind of governments have been forced to do in terms of making it at like standard levels regardless mm. if you're this is is a good thing that like corporations should be and small companies should be should be moving to i just don't know again how you set that i think it was the um uh, Basecamp guys was the article this week about setting salaries, wasn't it? And how oh, yeah. you know if they, they're a remote team, um, do they give? I think is it there's another team, uh, Buffer, that they give different salaries weighted based on your the cost of living in your area. Yeah, yeah. and so there's that whole calculation. Whereas Basecamp just went, no, we just pay everyone's um, uh, Silicon Valley prices, which like I don't, I don't like immediately go oh yeah that's that's right i just think it's a really interesting um yeah like conversation to have at that point i mean they're in a luck i think they're in a good position where they aren't particularly fearful for their business like their business is doing well they've got profit and so it, they can they can play with these philosophical ideas and put them into practice a bit more than most companies where it's yeah. probably feeling um, the squeeze a bit more or at least maybe even if they're not they fear that they are um and so there's that like what can i Essentially, what um, the is it? Dave, David from Basecamp. I forget his forget oh, his name. Heinemeiser. Yeah. Hansen. DHH. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like, well, you know, should it's that constant battle between the business owner wanting to kind of um, spend the least amount of money on a people on a person, and a person wants to is battling the business for trying to get the most amount of money, yeah. and that doesn't seem to like work out too well for for anybody. Yeah, I don't don't really see what's novel about. Oh, we just pay them as the Silicon Valley prices. No. Like it's, Congrats, mate. I think the buffer, like scaling it based on cost of living, is fairer. Yeah. Because um, yeah, but if, if you, you move if, around though, like then your salary changes. 
I guess. Like the the yeah. thing with setting, paying everyone the fixed price, which is the thing that Buffer were trying to not do, is that if I live in San Francisco, then I'm getting paid less than if I live in like. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. In I don't, I'm not like completely like for the you know partly for the complexity, but the adjusting it based on cost of living because you you almost think of it like. Um, like historically we thought about it you're, it's very tied to like the person and the person's time and that's like uh, like how much should I pay oh I don't know how much they have to pay for their mortgage and other things so then I know what is, would give them a luxurious life whereas like if you if you took it from the business point of view when we're discussing with with clients you're talking much more about the value what's like what's our product or our services value to that company and that's how it's based on rather than oh what does the company need in terms of like employees the company mortgage or company rent and all of our costs like we we're talking about like what what value can i give to to this business so maybe we should like merge those two ideas or what like what value does this like employee bring to the business which i know we is something we do to a certain extent but this whole kind of getting getting like how much essentially we're saying how much does the employee need um, and then basing their salary around that, that seems like a slightly strange way of doing it. But the value thing is baked into the position of the company and their experience. So on Buffer, you're, a, you're either a senior dev that's like basic, intermediate or advanced. So like that value is already, already yeah. factored in, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think that's, that's, that's why Basecamp have had to think about it because their, their value is, is, is um, baked in and it makes sense to have the same salary for everyone. Uh, because their customers are really remote as well, whereas um, with businesses normally, like they, you know, the turnover they get is very dependent on their location. So our business, like uh, well, previously with Meanbee, was very dependent on like, being in, in Bath, and so yeah. we, you know, can charge certain rates based on uh, where we are and the, the kind of expected salaries of people that are actually working in a physical Bath office. Yeah. Um, and we know that as a like an industry, we're com- competing with, you know, more expensive like London agencies because they've got London rents and London wages. So we know that that like that, that whole dynamic is that we're, we're then slightly more attractive because we're a bit cheaper uh, for kind of similar. Um, and so I think that's like why Basecamp have been in that interesting position because they're not a, oh, we're a very like central city based uh, business. We have customers for all over the world so that, and we have employees all over the world. So we, we don't need to be connected. Whereas our like intermediate senior levels are all, they already, they have the uh, ability level baked in, but they also have the location based like cost of living baked in just because most of our like employees are not remote. And so, um, you know, what we're maybe like unconsciously thinking about, um, you know, what is, what do we need to live in, in Bath? But, as more and more companies do remote work, it's I mean, that's that question to come up. Do we make it a really complicated system based on, you know, should I only pay you this much if you live in an expensive city? Yeah. Or should it be based, continue to be based on just your, in, like your ability level and the value that you bring to that company, regardless of where, whether that company is a company that gets most of its revenues from a very like small geographic area, area or a, a large one. So yeah, don't think, know what the right answer is. I, I think Basecamp's reason for they've so recently they changed it used to be 95% top in Chicago and now they've moved to Valley sort of price but I think the main reason for it was more um, they saw which we have in our industry a huge issue of people jumping job and job Mm. and the thought was that they're A doing this because they've got their they've hit the threshold of their share thing so they can now leave Um, but also that's how you get more money so if they're always just keeping 95% of the industry, there's never a money issue in theory because they're always going to be getting the 95% of the top. Yeah. Um, so yeah, normally then if they want to leave, it's for other reasons rather than money. Yeah. Um, and because obviously humans don't like to talk about money too much, no one wants to go in, into their boss and be like, give me a pay rise. Yeah. Um, so normally the easiest way is just to leave and go yeah. get another job. And that um, comes from a context point of view is that you've started on this wage, you might have gone up this, this amount. Yeah. And like to give you a massive raise feels like that's like setting a precedent. There's a context of the, the, the company as a whole, maybe like where their salaries like tend to sit. Whereas like another company's context might be slightly different. And that's how you kind of get that, that big raise. And if you start, yeah. if you, you, it's much easier for companies to just pay you that wage when you start and then move you up gradually. Mm-hmm. Like I think that's, that's the problem is people just sit in different areas, like in terms of ex- like their, the salary they're prepared to give. 
give yeah. but while someone's at a company like it's much more difficult to get like big pay rises um, mm-hmm. and for like humans to accept that again because of the probably the the like tension between what what can I get away with or um, you know and again that might not be like, like a super conscious um, yeah. thinking it's just like oh we pay that now like that's a really big pay rise to give someone um, uh, like it's yeah. just it's, it's human like fallibility yeah, yeah. I think it's if you employ 10 people and they all start on like a level and then you slowly raise them all up, then suddenly you, the your expenditure just raises like greatly. Where yeah. if you know that you're always going to pay someone at 95%, you know that that person is always going to have that. Yeah, the 95% might go up or down. Yeah. But it's not, you're not slowly raising everyone and your expenditure getting higher. You, it's, you start with a high expenditure. Yes, it's, it's a lot more easy to calculate. You're just like, yeah. I'll take you. And then that's that money that year you know yeah. Um, yeah salaries are hard yeah I think if I was to start again I would go completely transparent with it yeah like the MD gets this amount the senior gets this amount the mm. sales get this amount just be completely open with it so everyone's aware and we it's everyone dis- can discuss it it's not like a taboo subject yeah. yeah you know if people think that senior developers should should get paid more then Talk about it. Yeah, I'll tell you why that's not true. Yeah. I, think, <laughs> I think the the challenge for for my myself there is is um, as I'm sure many people have is the um, reducing your, your bias to skills that are not your own. Yeah. Um, so as developers, like you know, as we, when we were younger, like we certainly didn't value design much and didn't understand. And it's like, oh, frustrating that designers get so much time and so much money, and then like like we're the ones that have squeezed all the projects delayed. Oh, that's fine, that's fine. We've got the same deadline. It's it's <laughs> just got to squeeze all that, that that now, and it's that. I think in order to do that sort of system, I think it needs to be to kind of counteract like all of our biases. You need like people creating that that are from all different like uh, yeah, skill sets. I agree. Um, and to, and again, like how do you set those levels? If you're starting from like scratch, and then you will consider it, it costs this this website project is going to cost 100k, mm-hmm. um, and it's going to have this amount of time spent on it. How do you work out? You know, it's almost impossible to think how much like you can't just base it on amount of time that a single job title is going to need to spend on that project because someone that spends like 10 minutes planning at the beginning could save you know 100 hours later yeah um and is that just because of seniority or because they were like more suited to uh planning and that's just uh, like like that that task i do not yeah it's interesting maybe completely remove the job title and just have levels so you have level one through ten whereas you know the MD gets like level eight or something, or maybe ten. Who knows? Uh, but like, <laughs> regardless, to get better. <laughs> regardless of whether you're customer support, engineering, sales, whatever, yeah, you start based on how much experience you've got. So maybe you start on level three, level four, yeah, and they're defined increments, like ten, really 10, 10k each, five k each, or something, and you just move up. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a level three developer. Who are you? <laughs> you think you are, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. reminds me of that black black mirror episode. Well, you rate people. No spoilers. Oh, hey, yeah, this is, that one. Don't worry. That it's an old one. Sorry, yeah. sorry, no spoilers. If anyone's not watched it. But no, yeah, maybe re- completely removing the job title and just having levels is um, yeah, is the way to go. Wow. Treating them like they're just, you know, just a castle. <laughs> wow, wow, yeah. I was going to say that, but I guess. <laughs> well, yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, yeah the, the bias thing is, is um, I can definitely see that happening. I know what you mean about the design stuff, about how you're like, how do designers get paid that much money for just like drawing little shapes? So you really <laughs> wow, wow, I didn't say that. That's because, that <laughs> misquote. You, because you really don't appreciate, no, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. So you really don't appreciate like the the work when you start out in web, I don't think. Yeah. Though um, we have seen Hector draw pictures. And, yeah. yeah. But yeah, there's just, and there's, there's the other side of it is working out like, there's your ability level. So the, it, it's an interesting to go from a level one, two, and three based on your ability level and just kind of assuming that your job to the company is, is then valuable. So therefore it's just based on your like ability level or experience. And, um, I don't know if you could integrate like value into that like number, but uh, then you'd be close to getting back to like, Oh, like, Oh, a senior manager is then more valuable or whatever. But there is, there's definitely a, the other side is to consider that there, there are more valuable like roles within the a company or people that can generate yeah. more value and i don't know how you reward that um but there's also i think there's probably a bias at the moment um 
particularly with our current technology culture, a bias towards developers and a bias away from like project managers. Um, and as we, you know, discussing earlier, um, like those managers and those people that are really good at working with people and, and getting them to talk and yeah. discuss conflict and be really super honest around their blockers and what's going to be difficult. And yeah. like that is something that can make a team like, like, like 2X, 10X. 3X a team. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I think a good project manager is just as hard or even yeah. harder to find than a good developer. And it, it um, completely can change the culture, the dynam dynamic, and if people are happy and not kind of uh, steaming at, like other people in the office because of something that like has yeah. been mismanaged or whatever. And like, I, so like that, that um, like I don't know what they, you would give that that title, but that kind of connector, that like facilitator, um, yeah. Um, like yeah, m would make a massive difference. So that how how do you possibly judge the value of that 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 role? Um, yeah, because it's, it's quite easy to assign money value to developers because they they build the hours at the end of the day. You've got, you've got the product, you've got the, either the visible website or you, the designers have got the visible thing. Whereas something such as, I mean, management like is probably even like, you know, still quite visible um, because they have that level yeah. of ownership. Whereas project managers and people that facilitate, like it's a lot more intangible, mm -hmm. um, which is probably unfair towards yeah, how much they bring. We say that though, but we've had clients like say how good our PMs are and yeah. like, actually pointing out the fact that um you know that they're an essential part of the component and they, and they realize that yeah that i just think it's, that's the exception rather than the rule and it's still hard to say like how good are they doing their their job yeah. um I like it, re yeah. it requires that like external report from like other team members and again because of our own like fallibility we're maybe not like so good at bigging up other people um because we're worried that that means that, that will put us down um yeah i think um when you're kind of like if you're doing agency work then yeah you do get the outside more like product based i guess project managers even get even less sort of you yeah. get the outside clients because they're that's potentially where a project manager would talk to and then they'll get the, the feedback yeah. from but internally a lot less yeah and with uh, technology uh, with like developers and design you get you get the product that you can judge or, and everyone like around the business can judge regardless of if anyone yeah. actually says anything um you can make your own little judgment whereas project managers it's a bit more a bit more difficult um i mean you could look for <laughs> documentation and things like that and um like how they like meetings that you've had and facilitated but it's just yeah it's more it's a feel a though isn't it yeah. like and yeah. so that, how that, is this project gone yeah and that, like, that, that that it just comes back to like setting salaries is hard yeah um, it's yeah not like, you manage just a lot to do like the morale of the team and stuff. Like, how does everyone feel after the sprint? Are they like feel like shit because everything's been terribly planned, or did actually we all finish yesterday? Yeah, and this is like everything went really well, and that's again and asking the right questions so people don't feel like they're judged or they feel like at fault. And it's yeah. just kind of looking at it as a like um, like uh, just as a process, independent from from people. Yeah, definitely. So yeah. Cool topics, guys. I think I think that probably about wraps us up. Unless anyone wants to add anything for this episode, pub. Uh, I want to pub. Yes, it's almost <laughs> midday. I think that that counts. Um, there is. Talking about your black box thing. Will Smith did a, a video recently. This seems. <laughs> How did I know Will Smith was going to get in your somehow? <laughs> Okay. You know, it's always a little bit frustrating to me when, when people have a negative relationship with failure. Failure is a massive part of being able to be successful. You have to get comfortable with failure. You have, you have to actually seek failure. Failure is where all of the lessons are. You know, when you go to the gym and you work out, you're actually seeking failure. You want to take your muscles to the point where you get to failure because that's where the, the adaptation is. That's where growth is. Successful people fail a lot. They fail a whole lot more than they succeed. They extract the lessons from the failure and they use that, the, the energy and they use the wisdom to come around to the next phase of success gotta take a shot you have to live at the edge of your capabilities you gotta live where Very long, isn't it? you're almost certain you're gonna fail i'll do better will practice, do better. practice is controlled He's talking failure. To you. you're getting to your you're limit getting to your uh, limit getting to your limit you can't lift that you can't do that to be fair, i didn't listen you, you can't get to the that, point like, that all of a sudden <laughs> your I didn't body this makes the adjustment and then you can do it
failure will actually stop stop now he needs to concentrate on the road where you need to evolve it's not in the so statement, fail early maybe fail he's in england does he look like he's in england the, the other day but yeah that's actually a topic that the black book singing book goes into so yeah i really recommend that and i it's the i love this um story of the i think it was a study but um, taking a pottery class and then they were split into two groups. One group was told to kind of create the, the best um, like pot, they, like clay pot they could possibly make and they had this amount of time. And they, that, that group spent loads of time studying all the different like designs they could do and being like thinking in incredible detail about how they're going to create it and yeah. spent so much time on planning and then they kind of, and they built it and it was like, meh. And then the other group were told to make as many pots as possible. Um, and through their kind of experimentation and a lot of like errors, like the pot that they're in the same amount of time, their pots, like their final pots were a lot more impressive. And I think that's something that we, uh, like, that's where one of the our weaknesses as, as human beings is that like, and I know that I do this as well, is that you spend so much time planning and discussing on like the best way to do something and actually failing like your way through it tw two or three times and just iterating each time. Yeah. Um, and something that I, I keep coming back to and being, and I struggle with that. Like the idea, I, I'm scared of doing things in the public that like are, are seen as, as failures, um, whether or not that's actually like other people see it as failures or I just see it as a failure myself and know it's public and other people are talking yeah. about it. Like I, like, and so that's something that I come back to is like, if I want to you know, do more like side projects and I want to kind of create, um, you know, um, side projects that, that bring in money, I shouldn't spend like a whole load of time, which I've done in the past just on, on one, right. Thinking about it loads, um, and spending loads of time on it, um, before making it public. It's just a case of just getting as many things out there as possible. And like each one of those things, I'll learn a lesson. Yeah. Um, and that, that book talks about that. That's just the way that we learn. Like, um, uh, and you, and you pick things up from, from that and you gradually like most of successes are just from keep iterating and working, working things out. So yeah, big up, big up that idea. Thanks, Will. Thanks, Will. You're welcome to, you know, come again as uh, an interview. Really, really good. Really appreciate your time. Here is this, uh, episode sponsored by. I think we should continue uh, be sponsored by Absolute Music. That was uh, like, this is our second episode with their, their new mics, and I think it made a, a world of a difference uh, last week. So thanks to, to Alex from, from Absolute for help there. We never got any complaints that we're in a battle again. So no, that's good. No, we're making the big assumption that people listened to the episode, though. Yeah, wow. For for my, my ears are thankful. So yeah, I, I oh, yeah, us three listened to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was really funny then. Oh, that was good. Good part. Yeah. I was telling Ten Red about this. Listen to the podcast back. Like I hear you talking, and I'm like, "Yeah, I, I think I'd say this next." And lo and behold, I say it. It was like with. Um, <laughs> Does that just mean you have a really bad memory? Or? No, it means I'm really fucking pre predictable. I think, <laughs> like the um, like when you were talking about the bike and us uh, 200k bike yeah. and whatever. And you said you can't really lift it up. And I thought, yeah, you should just do one-legged squats and like get really strong. And I said it on the podcast, like, oh fuck, okay, yeah. I'm basically a chap. But you also you just like me. you're just honest. You're just honestly like you, know, you said exactly what you thought, which I think is a good quality in a person. Yeah, I wasn't. Like, you made, made it sound <laughs> I feel like really a... uncomfortable when you compliment me. <laughs> yeah, I'm always expecting a joke to yeah, go yeah, after yeah. or something because you're fat. Is all you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Classic Robert Shaw. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to mention your weight or your nationality or anything. <laughs> well. Sweet. Cool. Peace out. Peace cool. out, yours. See you later. Let's go get wasted. And that's a wrap. That's episode seven. Thanks very much for listening. Hope you have an awesome day. If you've got five minutes to so give us some feedback uh, on Twitter, I'm Bobby Shaw. I've got Nick J 89 and Red Davis. Always love to read more of your iTunes reviews. So give us five stars on there uh, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, share it with your friends probably not your parents definitely don't listen to it with kids in the car other than that yeah have a good have a good week have a good week